Thanks, Jabuka. If you haven't opened up yet to Psalm 84, open your Bible up or follow along on your device so that you can see what the Lord is saying for yourself. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you that we can gather as a church and hear what you have to say, say to us. We just sang, speak, O Lord. We want our minds to be renewed. We want our hearts to be renewed. And we pray that you would do that through your word. Would you help us by the Holy Spirit? We do not think that we can come to your word in our own strength and believe what you have to say. We won't. We would turn away unless you work on us by the power of the Spirit. Thank you, Father, for your Son, through whom all of your promises are yes to us, to those who trust in you through him. So help us now. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the first two verses go like this. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Is anybody there right now? On the way to, to church, you were like, I'm fainting to hear this sermon. I can't wait. I've been longing. You could think, as you read this psalm, there you go, Levi. We have one. You could think as you read this psalm, this guy's just showing off, right? I mean, who feels this way? Is he just bragging? He's fainting to worship? You could read it that way. Or, or you could see that this psalm is written to help you get to where he is. And it is. Do you want to be where he is? Do you want to be there emotionally? Not just mentally, but emotionally. You long to be with the Lord. You long to worship. It really is joy for you to worship him. That's, that's what this psalm is for. It's here to help. So we're kicking off a new school year. Summer's over. It's dead and buried. We've still got the heat, but we got to go back to school. Summer's done. I think that when there's a new season, either school year starting or the new year is beginning, it's a good time to reevaluate your priorities and your habits, isn't it? I mean, things are starting fresh. It feels like you get a chance to start over. This is a time for that to reevaluate. Okay, what are my priorities in life? What are my habits as it relates to worship? This psalm is calling us to be near God, which is really good to think about at the beginning of the year. It's calling us to seek him with all our hearts and for us to evaluate, okay, is that how I live? Because I want to live that way. To establish habits and disciplines to be as near him as we can be. That's what we want to do. Now, there's a challenge in applying the Psalms to your life. It's a challenge of applying the Old Testament to your life. The big challenge is this. You're not a Jew. 
You're not a Jew who lives under the law of Moses, who has an earthly king in an earthly kingdom of Israel, and you don't go to a building, the temple, to worship. That's a big difference between you and this psalm. Why is that? It's because of Jesus. When Jesus showed up, he changed everything. So when you read your Bible, you have to understand when Jesus arrives, it changes everything. He lived under the law of Moses. He kept it perfectly, the only good man. And when he died on the cross to pay the punishment for our sins, he did away with the law of Moses over us. We can still look at the law of Moses and learn a lot from it, but we're not living under it because of Jesus. We don't live in an earthly kingdom of Israel. Think about that. Jesus is our king, but Christians live across every nation on the globe, and we submit to our earthly authorities and governments. We honor them, but our highest authority is King Jesus, who's in heaven right now. Someday he'll be on the earth again, but now he's in heaven We don't worship at a temple. Now, this is the biggest difference in this psalm right here because this psalm's all about worship at the temple. So this is the biggest difference between this psalm and your life. The reason we don't worship at a temple is because Jesus is our temple. The tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament was where God dwelled with his people. He was with them, among them, and it was all pointing to the day when Jesus would come and God really would dwell among us. He would be one of us. So now you don't go to a building to worship. You go to Jesus by faith. And here's the amazing thing. If you do, he'll make you into a temple. That's what 1 Corinthians 6 says. So everywhere you go, you can worship. And not only that, but he's also making you and other believers in the church into a temple so that you can meet God in a special way when you gather with others. God's doing that. So your worship doesn't require you to go to Jerusalem, to the temple. You can draw near to God anywhere and perhaps especially with his church. So that's going to change the way we apply this psalm, isn't it? It is. This whole psalm's about worshiping God at his temple, but we can apply it because we worship, don't we? And we want to learn how to worship better. God intends for this psalm to help us draw close to him in worship. So what we're going to do, I read the first two verses. We're going to walk through the rest of this psalm, portion by portion, a few verses at a time, And as we go, we're going to dig up the encouragement that the psalm has for us to draw near to God. And we're going to see five of them. So they're going to happen as we go. We're going to work through text. We'll see an encouragement. We'll work through some more text. We'll see other encouragements. That's what we're doing. Okay, we saw in verses 1 and 2 that the psalmist, you know what that word is, psalmist? It just means the person who wrote the psalm. I realized I used that word a lot when I was preparing the sermon psalmist. It's someone who writes the psalm. So the psalmist in verses one and two, he says, oh, I long to be with God. I long to enjoy God. Okay. So now let's look at verses three and four and see how he's encouraging us to join him. Verse three, 
even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. So imagine being at the temple. It's big. It's beautiful. You're in the courtyard, precious stones. There's gold. It's amazing. It's an amazing, spectacular place to worship. You're supposed to be there and be like, wow, God is big. He's magnificent. And while you're there, you see little birds. That's what swallows and sparrows are. Little birds flying around. And they're building their nests at the temple. Now, you might think that's inappropriate. It's inappropriate. They're just little birds. They're worthless. Little birds flying around making a mess, making noise, building their nests. Get them out of here. This is God. We're talking about God Almighty. Get the birds out. Okay? You might be tempted to think that. And I, I think that's what catches the psalmist here. He's in the temple. He's seeing all these little birds flying around, being busy, building their nests. And listen to how he says it. The sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts. Now, when the Bible uses that phrase, Lord of hosts, it means Lord of armies. That's what hosts is. So the Lord who commands armies of immortal angels who possess power beyond our comprehension, that God, he welcomes these little birds into his house. So here's encouragement number one. God welcomes the least, the smallest, the weakest to come. Think of this. Little birds. And the psalmist is going, God welcomes these? He welcomes the sparrows and the swallows to build nests. Doesn't that sound like Jesus? God cares for the sparrows. You are of more value than many sparrows. Jesus talks like that. And that's what the psalmist is saying. He says, they have a home with God. He says, blessed are those who dwell in your house, singing your praise. So these little birds, they're making noise. They're making noise the whole time. People are there trying to worship, singing all day as they make their home in the temple courts. And the psalmist is drawing an analogy. This is an analogy for us. He's saying, how happy and blessed are these little birds They're so near to the Lord. That's what it's like for us to be near the Lord. It's happy. It's blessed. Singing to the Lord and being near him like these little birds have learned to do. Some of you come from religious backgrounds where weakness and honesty before God are not permitted. Or you've been under the impression that God only accepts people who conquer their own weaknesses and conquer their own sin. So you've believed, maybe you still do, that until you get rid of your weakness and until you get rid of your own sin, you can't come before God. He doesn't want you around. Is that anybody here? Listen to this psalm. He's not too big too glorious for you to be around. 
These birds have a home with God, and you can too. He loves to welcome the weak and the needy. Do you hear the encouragement for you to draw near him? When you feel like you've messed up, or you feel like you're not good enough, or you're too weak, he's inviting you to come. His greatness does not repel the weak and needy. You know what repel means? Like when two magnets were the same, is it polarity, is that right? Pushes one magnet away. God's greatness does not repel the weak and needy. His greatness covers our sin and supplies all our needs if we humble ourselves and draw near to him. Now, here's one more encouragement from these verses. It is a blessed life that regularly praises God. So this is encouragement too. It's a blessed life that regularly praises God. Do you see that word blessed or blessed in verse four? It means happy through God. God's made you happy. What do blessed people look like here? They're singing praises to God. See that? If you don't feel happy or blessed, might I suggest that the psalmist is giving us a pathway to it? Don't wait to feel happy and blessed to sing praises to God. That's the encouragement. Don't wait. I mean, many of us feel like, well, I don't want to be a hypocrite. And you don't want to be a hypocrite. You don't want to be a hypocrite and show off, raising your hands, making a big scene while you're singing so that people will think that you're happy in God. But if you praise him because you want to be there, you might find that you become blessed and happy because it's what you were made for. This is what you were made for. You were made to praise the Lord. I can testify it changes things when you praise him, when you intentionally decide, I'm going to praise you, Lord. I'm going to praise you. Would you let my heart and my emotions follow? He will. He will. He'll help you. So here are the, the first two encouragements we've gotten so far. God is a home for the weak. So draw near to him. Make it your habit to draw near to him. And the happy life, the blessed life, is a life given to praising God. So give yourself to it. Those are the first two encouragements. Okay, let's look at the next section, verses five and seven. There's an encouragement for us here in these verses. Now, encouragement three is coming, but we've got to do some work before we get there. We've got to look at a bunch of texts before we get to encouragement three. It's coming. Look at verse five. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. So he's talking to God now, and he's saying, a blessed life is when you're our strength. So God's our strength. You got that? We're not our strength. Our strength is not in us. It's in God. Our strength's not our money. Our strength's not in our special abilities, our physical power, our status at work. That's not our strength. But when God himself is our strength, when he's our help, we're talking about God Almighty, when he's your strength, he's the one that's looking out for you, that's a blessed life. That's a really blessed life. Do you want God to be your strength? Do you want to have that kind of security to know that God Almighty has given himself to look after you and to take care of you? 
If your security is money, it can be gone in an instant. Just like that. If your power is that you're the boss at work, we know that can disappear very quickly. If your confidence is how clever you are, strong you are, your health, your mind can go in a moment. But if your strength is God, you can have confidence for all of life, forever and ever. He's the one who's taking care of you. He's your strength. You're secure and you're blessed if God is your strength. Now, notice in verse 5, it tells us more about the person whose strength is in God. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose hearts are the highways to Zion. Do you see that? So the people whose strength is in God are also people who have the highways to Zion in their heart. What does that mean? The people of Israel assembled in Jerusalem three times a year. Deuteronomy 16, 16 says, you got to go up for these feasts, three feasts, three times a year. So everybody's assembling in Jerusalem. Three times a year, you had to go to Jerusalem, which our passage calls Zion. That's what Zion is. They go to Zion, Jerusalem, to the temple to worship. So it didn't matter where you lived in Israel. Some people had to travel a long ways. If you lived in the far north or the far south, you're coming a long ways three times a year, maybe a four-day journey in order to get to Jerusalem, to the temple, to worship. You had to ride an animal, walk wherever you lived, walk from wherever you lived along these highways. They wouldn't have been highways like ours, not paved. Maybe a cart could go along them. These people were in good shape, better shape than us. It was quite the journey along these highways. Now think about it. What would it mean if the highways to Zion, to the temple, were in your heart? So you don't just walk along them three times a year, but they're actually in your heart. It means you don't just journey to the temple three times a year because somebody forces you to go. Dad's like, it's time, son. Let's go. Oh, I don't want to. Okay, I'm sure that happened a lot. It would mean that even though you aren't at the temple, you want to be there. You long to be there. You're making that journey in your heart because you love worship. Nobody's forcing you to go that journey. You're always there. It's in your heart. You long to go to Jerusalem. You long to worship God. It's always on your thoughts. It's always in your heart. That's how you become a person whose strength is God. You hear that? Because this, this verse is making a connection between those two things. The person who has God as their strength is the person who has the highways to Zion in their heart. By having a thought life, an inner life of worship, you become a person whose strength is God. You got that? What you think about during the day really matters. Whether or not you're worshiping in your heart throughout the day determines whether God is your strength or not. That's really practical, isn't it? It's practical in significance. Those whose strength is in God 
have the highways of Zion in their heart. They meditate on the word, what he says about himself, the promises he makes. They chew on it. They delight in it. They long to worship all the time. That's how you have God as your strength. Now look what happens to these kinds of people. Verse 6. As they go through the valley of Baca. Now, we don't know where that was exactly, but we can presume it was a desert. So, you know, every year you're going to Jerusalem, you've got to go through the valley of Baca. It's the wor- it's, day three is the worst. It's desert. There's nothing around. It's hard to walk. Okay, so it's a desert place. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. So it's talking about people traveling to Jerusalem now. Imagine, they're traveling to Jerusalem to worship. It's a many-day journey, and their journey takes them through a desert valley. But because they're worshiping God along the way, it's like everywhere they step becomes a garden. That's the picture. Do you see the picture? He's not literally saying, as these people walk through the desert, springs are shooting up, rain's falling from the sky. He's saying, it's as though that happens. If your heart is with God always, because you're thinking on the truth, you're meditating on his word, you're worshiping him in his heart, then you will be the kind of person who is well-watered, no matter what circumstance you're in. That's what he's saying with this picture. And that's encouragement number three. We finally made it. Encouragement three. If we set our thoughts on truth and worship in our heart, God will be our strength. No matter how difficult our circumstances are. It's amazing. If you set your heart, your mind on truth and your heart on worship, God will be your strength, no matter how difficult the circumstances are. Some of you may know who Johnny Erickson Tata is. Many of you would not know who Johnny Erickson Tata is, and that's fine. But I thought of her when I was looking at these verses. At age 17, she broke her neck in a diving accident and was paralyzed and still is from the shoulders down. So just think about this. 17-year-old, smart, attractive, your whole life is ahead of you, and all of a sudden, you can't move. You can't go to the bathroom when you want to. You can't roll over when you get uncomfortable at night. You'll never stand or be able to use your hands, okay? That's her. Listen to what she says. This is her writing 55 years after the accident. So not one year when things are fresh. 55 years later, she says this. Early on in my paralysis, and almost by accident, I unearthed an unexpected treasure. I opened the word of God and discovered a mine shaft. You know what a mine shaft is? It's where you're digging for precious metals, golds, precious gems. She said, I opened the word of God and discovered a mine shaft. I dug my paralyzed fingers into a weight of incomprehensible glory, 
a sweetness with Jesus that made my paralysis pale in comparison. In my great joy, I went out and sold everything, trading in my resentment and self-pity to buy the ugly field nobody else would want, and I struck gold. After decades of using the pick and shovel, so she's still mining here in her fields, the pick and shovel of prayer and scripture, my field has yielded the riches of the kingdom of heaven. I have found a God who is thunderous, full-throttled joy spilling over. So let's think about this. This woman has been paralyzed now for over 56 years. God did not heal her paralysis. That's a desert. That's a 56-year desert. But God has watered her soul and in her joy and overflow into others, I don't know anyone who parallels her. This is a heart that is well watered even in the desert because it's set on worship according to her own words through the word and prayer. That's how your strength is in God and how wherever you go, whatever you do, whatever circumstances you're in, God will renew your soul day by day. So here's where we've been so far. Encouragement one, God's a home for the weak. Draw near to him. Two, the blessed life is a life that's giving praise to God always. So draw near to him. Three, if we fill our inner life with truth and worship God, he'll be our strength no matter our circumstances. It's an amazing promise. Now, the psalmist does something a little unexpected here because he interrupts his argument of why worship is so great. The whole time he's talking about worship is great. The sparrows find a home. Worship is great. God will be your strength. And all of a sudden he takes a little break here and he prays to God for the king of Israel. Look at this. This is verses eight and nine. He prays, oh Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. So anointed in verse 9 is the king of Israel. The kings were anointed with oil. That word is the word for Messiah. So he's saying, O God, look at our king. Look at our anointed king. And, and notice the king is called a shield here in verse 9. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. So the king of Israel was the protector of Israel. That's what he's saying. God, look on us. Look on our protector, the king of Israel. He's praying that God would look on his face. That means to care for him. And verse 10 tells us why. Now see if you can follow the logic of the psalm here. Look at the connection between verses 9 and 10. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. Why? Why is he praying that? Verse 10 tells us why. Because, or for, a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. So I think this is what the psalmist is saying. He's saying, I love worship so much. One day worshiping you is better than being a thousand days anywhere else. So God, will you look after the king? 
because he's our protector. He, he protects the nation so that we can worship. That's what the king of Israel did. He makes sure everyone is safe so that they can worship God. Now, how does this relate to us? We don't have an earthly king right now, but Jesus does this for us. He's not protecting us from the Philistines, from the Canaanites, but he is the one who protects us so that we can approach God. This is what Jesus does. He shields us from the punishment our sins deserve. He takes that guilt on himself on the cross. He takes away all of God's anger towards our sin. And now he's opened the way so that you can approach God. Here's what I want to make clear. So you could come in here and you don't really trust Jesus and you think, oh, this is just a a five-step program for how I can worship God. What do I need to do? I need to draw near in weakness. I need to sing lots of songs. And I need to think about the Bible. None of that will bring you to God without trusting Jesus. That's what I want to be clear. He opens the way so that you can draw near to God by dying for us, taking away your sin and guilt and opening the way to God so that you can come to God Almighty, the source of all life and joy freely, without fear. That's what Jesus, our King, does for us. You're free to come near to God because God looks on the face of King Jesus whenever you approach that's good news. So trust in this king as you come to God. Now let's get to the last set of encouragements. They come in verses 10 through 12. The psalmist is still talking to God and he says, a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Better than a thousand elsewhere. One day with God. Kids, better than Legoland, Atlantis, Ferrari World, Disney World, for a thousand days. That's like three years. Adults, better than the best vacation you've ever had, living in the Burj Al Arab for the next three years. One day in God's courts. It's better to be the lowliest servant in the house of God. That's what a doorkeeper is. It's better to be the lowliest servant in the house of God than to be the boss in the tents of wickedness. And he tells us why. Why is it better? Verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. God's a sun. He shines light wherever he goes. Is anybody in darkness now? Confused? You need some light? Anybody caught in sin, that kind of darkness? You need light, help? He's a sun and he's a shield. He protects us. He protects our soul like nothing else can. And here's what he gives. The Lord bestows or gives favor and honor. So here's encouragement number four. If you draw near to God, He will be, he will be all you need. And he will honor you. It's amazing. 
He'll be all that you need, whatever circumstance comes, and then he'll honor you. Now, there's a way to seek blessing from God that's using God, right? We can Im imagine an adult child who's learned how to flatter his aging parents to get money for them from them. I can be real nice and I'm just doing it for money. We can treat God that way. If that's how you treat God because you just want earthly stuff from him. You love this world and God, Jesus, is the way you get it. You don't really know him, okay? But, but if you do love God, if you seek him, he will honor you. He will give you favor so that you can know Jesus better and better. You'll get joy and peace in this life. So circumstances can be awful, but God can give you joy and peace in this life, in your heart. This makes me think of Paul. Paul says, my outer self is wasting away. This is God's apostle. He's a big deal, so to speak, in God's kingdom. And he says, my outer life is wasting away. I'm getting hurt all the time, sick, but my inner man is being renewed day by day. God will do that for you. He'll give you joy and peace no matter what's coming. And then you will be clothed with immortal glory when he returns or you die. He'll honor you. He will. That's why being a doorkeeper in the house of God is better than being the boss in the tents of wickedness. You live your 80, 90 years as the boss, getting everything you want in the tents of wickedness, it's not worth it. Because God honors those. He helps and honors those who draw near to him. Now, here's one more encouragement, the final one in verse 11. If you draw near to God, he will not keep any good thing from you. Look at verse 11. No good thing does God Withhold, that means keep back from those who walk uprightly. Every sin that you or I ever commit is because we think it's going to make us happier than the future God would give us if we didn't sin. Every one of us, that's the only reason we sin. We think that the pleasure and security of greed is better and trust in God. We think the pleasure of lust will make us happier. We think the pleasure of vengeance, getting revenge, striking back, will make our future better, happier than if we follow the Lord. We sin because we think it'll give us a happier future. And that's what Satan's been telling us from the beginning. From the beginning, think about Satan's temptation to Adam and Eve. Eve... Do you know why God told you not to eat of that fruit? It's because he knows you'll be like him. He's keeping good from you, Eve. Get the good that God is holding back from you. That's every temptation you'll ever face. And this verse is assuring us that Satan is a liar. If you walk uprightly, if you live a life that draws near to God through Jesus, he won't keep good from you. 
Now, he might keep things for a time from you that you think are good for you. But in his limitless wisdom and in his perfect goodness, he knows what's good. Satan doesn't want you to believe this, guys. He does not want you to believe that God wants good for you. God wants good for you. Satan does not want you to believe that. He's doing all he can in the moment of temptation to make you think, God doesn't really want what's best for me. But God does. He will. If you say no to sin and draw near to him through Jesus... And this promise extends beyond the edges of this life. It has to. Because most of the good that Jesus has purchased for your life, most of the good that God has stored up for you, and Ephesians tells us it is limitless good, most of it you will experience after you die or Jesus comes back. The reason it's important to believe that is because you might get to age 85 and you might think, my body hurts, I've lost most of my friends, life is hard, I still feel tempted. Where's the good? He'll give you joy and peace in your heart and ages upon ages upon ages of good are coming your way. They will be poured over you forever. Jesus died to secure that future so that in his presence, with him, all good things come to you as you enjoy him. So listen to the psalmist. Listen to him. This is so practical in the moment of temptation. God wants good for you. You can have total confidence that you will not miss out on any good thing if you give your life to seeking him and listening to what he says. So let's run through these one more time. These are the encouragements we've seen in Psalm 84, God is a home for the weak. Weak people, and that's all of us, draw near to him, draw near. The happy life is a life that is giving praise to God always. That's encouragement too. So draw near to him in praise. Three, if we fill our inner life with truth and worship, God will be our strength no matter how difficult life's circumstances are. So draw near to him by filling your mind with truth and your heart with worship. Four, he will be all that you need if you draw near to him and he'll honor you. And five, he won't keep back any good from you if you draw near to him. So draw near. Psalm closes by saying, O Lord of hosts, Blessed is the one who trusts in you. It is blessed. It is happy to trust in him and draw near him. So this year, give yourself to seeking him, drawing near to him. As a church, commit yourself to joining so that we can worship God together. Set an alarm so you can get up and spend time in God's word and pray. It's our life source. Join a Bible study. We've got Bible studies so that you can grow in your knowledge of the truth and learn how to store it up in your mind and worship in your heart, and you will be blessed. That's the promise. Let's pray. Father, oh, thank you for this psalm. 
Thank you that every word of the Lord proves true. Every word proves true. None of the promises you make here will fall to the ground empty. They are all yes to us in Jesus. So make us these kind of people who draw near to you, trusting that it is blessed to seek you, believing that it's better to be the lowliest servant in your house than to dwell in the tents of wickedness because you are a sun and a shield. You bestow favor and honor. No good thing do you withhold from those who walk uprightly. Lord, help us now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.